Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. Uh, it's a weird time out there. We're very well aware, but that means that there's more content we can bring to you, and the content won't stop by any means at all. My name is Dan Roselle, and I'm joined by John Fisher. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. So things are strange. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> hockey has been suspended for now, as we all know, unless you are living under a rock somewhere. And even then, you probably still know that the coronavirus and the subsequent illness, COVID-19, have taken over everyday life and very notably the sports world after the NBA was first to suspend operations for the season and other leagues smartly followed suit. So again, this is going to throw a bit of a wrench into what our usual content looks like, but we have a fun surprise for you that we'll reveal at the end in terms of how we can all participate in still enjoying some devil's hockey, even though the current team might not be playing any games for what looks like many, many weeks. So we'll be sure to reveal to you what the plan is going forward for this podcast specifically and what we plan to do to have you guys uh, get involved but first and foremost we have to talk about the last game that the devils played before this whole scenario unfolded and we had talked about it last week as pittsburgh was kind of on a bad run there they Mm -hmm. were not playing their best hockey in this most recent stretch Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, they pretty much just came in and shut the Devils down after the second period, coasting to an easy Penguins win. But for the Devils, you know, they they had been playing well against some teams also in the playoff race, but it was bound to run out sometime, and Blackwood didn't even have his best game. No, this this very much was a slump buster for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, Pittsburgh, to put it simply played like a competent hockey team and the Devils look like the team that got John Hines fired and makes all of us don't not want Elaine Azardine back. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's really the simplest way I could put it. I mean, the numbers themselves speak volumes. They got the Devils were outshot 33 to 22. The Blackwood actually let in a soft goal for the first time in almost over a month. You know, the Devils had a big opportunity to tie it up in the third period with a five a long five on three. And they failed to register shots on net. Or they did get shots on net, but they had more shots blocked than they had shots on net. And, you know, even before the five on three, every time the Devils were pinned back in their own end of the rink, it was always an adventure. More often than not, there was a turnover, a bad pass, a bad clearing attempt, an attempt that gets picked off by a penguin. And, you know, it was just a reality check, I guess, is the even clearer way to describe this. This was a reality check for the Devils, for for all of us that were thinking, oh, maybe the Devils are turning a corner, maybe they're figuring things out, maybe things are improved. No, they are not. (laughs) The good times may have been over that night, and thanks to the worst thing to ever come out of the Wuhan province of China, we're going to be thinking about it for some time. (laughs) Yeah, and it kind of was a fitting cap if this was the end of the season for the Devils, and you know, indications say that they want to play out the rest of the season, want to oh, yeah. award the Stanley Cup this year. Obviously, we don't oh, yeah. know if that's going to be a thing that happens. And for Devils fans, you know, I'm pretty all right with not awarding the Cup this year, personally, since the Devils have zero chance. But I'd love to see hockey back, of course. But this was a game mm-hmm. that very much it represented a lot of what the season what this season has been so far. And it was very frustrating to watch, but you hate to see any sort of season end on a note like that. And the whole cancellation happened before the devils were set to play at Carolina that same night. So 
hopefully that's not the note that the 2019-2020 New Jersey Devils finally end on, but if it is, it was bound to happen eventually. Blackwood had been playing completely out of his mind, as we've been saying, and like you said, he, he finally gave up some soft goals and didn't look so sure of himself. No, definitely not. I mean, fittingly, we did get to see a very rare occurrence that night, just to put a silver lining on this. We got to see the uncommon Miles Wood one-on-one goal. Mm-hmm. Miles Wood actually broke away from a long pass by Heischer, and unlike many of these types of attempts, he actually beat the goaltender. And then the Devils proceeded to put, like, maybe, like, five more shots against Matt Murray instead of, like, you know, challenging him any anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean... All, all good things eventually come to end. Hot streaks were, you know, are due to end. And even for Blackwood, who's been playing absolutely fantastic, was legitimately getting some Calder Cup buzz. Not Calder, Calder Cup, Trophy. Calder Trophy yeah. buzz. Yeah, he's not going to go to the HL, everybody. <laughs> he's, he's an NHL player, <laughs> I assure you. But more seriously, he was getting some legitimate Calder buzz. He's not going to get it since Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes and uh, Dominic Kubalik over in Chicago have been killing it all season. But it just speaks to the magnitude of how well he has been playing to get this type of buzz. But... Tuesday night was definitely a downturn. And um, in the wake of the recent news, mm-hmm. it, it almost feels like a millennium ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's almost like it's in the distant past. And it was literally just as we're recording this three days ago. Right. And not only that, but the you know suspension of the major leagues led to the suspension of the minor leagues as well. And Binghamton had just won, I believe, their seventh straight game. That's right. And they just kept on rolling. They were actually, they had some solid separation for a playoff spot. They were actually at least a game and a half away from the team chasing them. I don't remember which, who that was. Yeah, they, I think it was yeah, Laval. They're three po- well, they're three points ahead of Syracuse and four points ahead of Laval. Okay. So Binghamton is currently on hold, sitting fourth in the North Division, one point behind Utica. Mind you, Utica has a game in hand on them. And three points behind Rochester, who are in second place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, the Devil's Hot Run, <laughs> you know, it's fantastic. You love to see it. Uh, it's remarkable that uh, even if, as New Jersey has been calling up a couple players to possibly play games and otherwise, they find ways to get it done. Zane McIntyre has gotten hot right away with some big-time performances on this streak, and they've been getting some timely goals out of players like Brett Sini, like uh, Nathan Bastian, and when he was with, with Binghamton, Yanni Kwakinen. Yeah, Yanni Kwakinen also came up and played some games for the Devils. And actually, the line arrangement they had going into the Carolina game had maybe the most positive responses to any lineup that I've seen in the last, like, four months. And, of course, that's the one that the season gets suspended on. So uh, we don't get to see this arrangement of... I think Kwakinen was playing alongside Hughes's... He was playing on Hughes's wing because Hughes had moved back to the center. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely... Um, a welcome change because Hughes as a wing has just not been functional. It hasn't been functional due to the line mates. And honestly, the guy just can't buy a goal on sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes his teammates can't buy a goal. So, you know, when you're a playmaker and your line mates are slumping, it doesn't matter what position you're playing. It's just not going to function. But yeah, I, I can foresee that uh, if you want this guy to be your center in the future, let him play center where he was playing for most of this season. Mm-hmm. It's not a Zach Parise situation where you just go immediately put him at left wing and see what he does. They wanted Hughes as a center. They see Hughes as a center. This is not rocket science. Keep him at center. So they we're finally going to do that, and now we just get to wait. <laughs> yeah, and it's 
it's what a weird first season for Jack Hughes in general. First of all, being the first player to make the jump from the um, U.S. national team development program straight to the NHL to having his coach, general manager, team's best player, team's captain, and then uh, heart and soul player Blake Coleman. And I guess you can say, based on what the players were saying in the locker room, Wayne Simmons, too, traded away. Uh, all in the same season, and then that season gets suspended. So I don't think you can come up with a weirder set of circumstances for an 18-year-old playing his first season in the NHL, which is why I think a lot of articles are coming out, especially around now, uh, on The Athletic, on NJ.com, that are revolving around Jack Hughes and why this weird first season does not make him a bust. And I think that's important to remember that the kid's 18 years old and has been dealing with some of the weirdest circumstances in hockey. Even if this season hadn't been suspended, it was already a bizarre environment for him to be in. Yeah, and and what I would tell people is, you know, who are concerned about Jack Hughes and and wondering what's the big deal, I'd like to remind people that uh, guys like Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews, they're the exceptions and not the rules when it comes to guys jumping right into the uh, NHL. It wasn't that long ago that, you know, Steve Stamkos, you know, was the undeniable number one pick. Tampa Bay put up billboards telling it, asking if you've seen Stamkos. I don't know how well that would have played since, you know, he was in Sarnia. Uh, Not sure there's a big Sarnia crowd in Tampa Bay, but nevertheless, you know, he didn't have a very good season first season. If you looked at those numbers directly, you'd be going, what's the big deal? And then he turned into Steven Stamkos, like we all thought he would be. Uh, did it with Joe Thornton, did it with Vincent LeCavier. Um, you know, you can look at a bunch of guys and say, look, you know, maybe even the guys who had decent seasons or very good first seasons, you know, they didn't come close to hitting their peak until years later, like Taylor Hall or Nathan McKinnon. So I guess what I'm really trying to say is you're absolutely right, Dan. The circumstances have definitely not been ideal for Hughes. You know, throw in the fact that, again, he's been saddled with line mates who have either gotten cold when he was with them or they weren't very good to begin with, like Miles Wood or Wayne Simmons. And as such, you know, he's not going to have the eye-popping numbers that I think you and I were kind of hoping for. But that doesn't mean that his season is over. Like, by all intents and purposes, he's 18 years old. He will get better. And it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, and it, we should hope that that's the case. And we've seen it develop already with Nico Heischer. He completely changed, you know, in style of play and confidence and physique between his first and second and really his second and third seasons as well. So, you know, it comes with age, it comes with time, and it comes with stabilizing the situation in the executive suite for New Jersey as well, which is going to be a bit of a tougher task Um given the circumstances, but also it does give them an opportunity to even start interview rounds if they'd like to now that the league has been suspended. Well, they've already begun the interviews uh, for, for the general manager position. Uh, I believe it was Elliot Freeman who broke on one of his uh, many, and there are so many segments in Canada <laughs> with respect to uh, hockey to coverage, but on one of his segments uh, not that long ago, he did point out that Mike Gillis got an interview. Mm-hmm. Now, my suspicion is that if they're reporting that Mike Gillis got an interview, chances are it probably didn't go very well because otherwise we'd be talking about Mike Gillis is going to be the incoming GM of the Devils. Right. Um, it's still possible that could happen. It's just that, you know, my my take on this is if news gets public about a potential hiring, you're probably not going to stick with the guy who didn't get the job immediately after the interview. Right. Um, so they've already started that process. So it begs the question, if they've already talked to Gillis, who else have they talked about? I'm sure they've already spoken internally to Fitzgerald since he's literally in the organization. It's not that hard to do. I'm sure if they're kicking around the idea of 
you know, I wouldn't put it past them talking to Martin Brodeur since he does have assistant general manager experience out of St. Louis. It wouldn't, I wouldn't be super surprised if they uh, reach out to some other names out there, you know, like former general managers. I know Brian Burke has already said he doesn't want to do it again, so I'm going to guess he's out. Mm-hmm. The Devil's Insiders on Twitter have been trying to figure this one out. There's obviously a lot more potential coaching names available uh, between Jim Montgomery, Gerard Gallant, Ricardo Gornberg out of Switzerland, and a whole host of other characters that should probably be available the minute that uh, the season does resume and eventually end when contracts do end, which is another open question as far as how how the NHL is going to play this, but I'm not going to get into that. So, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Management can absolutely use this time for their own future since they don't really have anything else to worry about uh, with respect to games, with respect to events at the Prudential Center, uh, with respect to the Sixers, and with respect to their other sports teams as the Premiership is now canceling games or postponing games, I should say, and therefore... Harris and Blitzer are literally, well, they don't have a sporting event to attend or worry about at the moment. Everything is idle, which is the state of the world these days. Yeah, and we'd be, you know, it'd be remiss of us not to mention those same owners that you just mentioned, Harris and Blitzer, um, really doing the right thing here in terms of paying the event staff and the uh, hourly arena staff for all the events that they are going to be missing because of this massive, massive shutdown of not just the entertainment industry or the sports industry by themselves, but really it's like a screeching halt to society as a whole. There's there's a lot of weirdness going around and people don't really know what to do. But in this kind of time where hourly employees at the Prudential Center, and I'm sure there are a lot of locals as well, they really rely on these events. They really rely on that money. So good on Harrison Blitzer for committing to do that through however long this stoppage is. I think if you have that kind of money, then, you know, pay your employees and they're doing the right thing. And they're not the first owners who offered to do it, but it is important that they did um, make the commitment to do so. And it seems like that's a sentiment that's going around most of the ownership groups in the league, with the exception of the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, and, and also Buffalo. Oh, and Buffalo and as well. Possibly, and possibly Edmonton. Oh, boy. Okay, well. <laughs> the point is, the point is, is I don't want to waste time on the losers. I want to talk about the owners that matter, which in this case is Harrison Blitzer. And, and I give him a lot of credit for doing this because they can justifiably say, no, there's no event, so there's no job. I don't know what you want us to tell you. But um, it is an act of goodwill and good faith. And um, honestly, good business, because if you're looking for employees in the future, you know, even if you're not a huge fan of working one of those jobs or, you know, one of those jobs isn't very good. But, hey, they stood up for you while, you know, full well, you're not going to be doing anything for, for the rest of March. And when I say the rest of March, you know, I'm not just talking about Devil's Games being postponed, Dan. I'm talking about there's no Billie Eilish concert. That was going to be a big, big concert mm-hmm. for them. There's no All Elite Wrestling. That was going to be a big, big show. It was actually their promotions. Uh, first big arena show in an arena that's like larger than like 10,000 people. And they were going to have a huge event, a war game style event called Blood and Guts. I was going to go to that oh, event, yeah, so that's yeah. why I know that. <laughs> but more importantly, it was going to be a big, big show. That's not happening. Uh, there were other big concerts that were also going to happen in, in March as well. That's not happening. So it's not just they're missing out on seven uh, or six or seven Devil's Home games. You know, we're talking like three or four nights a week now just wiped away. So if you need that money to live off of or you need that money for to, you know, have an extra safety net in your bet in your bank uh, bank account or if you just need something to do at the night because some people work for the sake of having something to do. Um, 
that's all gone. So credit to the owners for say, stepping in saying, you know what, this isn't your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. We're, we'll cover you until, you know, we start going back to having events again. And, and that's good. Yeah. And really just, you know, I'm just going to echo what a lot of people have been saying about uh, this specific event. Just, you know, be smart. Don't panic, but be vigilant, be cautious, be considerate of your fellow individuals, because we want as many people coming back to watch Devil's Games as possible. We want people to feel like they're family at the arena. We want people to be able to get back to their normal lives. And the only way that happens is, you know, you listen to the advice of medical professionals, you wash your hands frequently, you do the things that you've been told to do that can help limit this really unprecedented event and i don't know you know not unprecedented in the world's history because of various other you know strains of disease that have spread around the world but really unprecedented in the modern era and especially in the sporting era i've never seen a situation besides like war times where all four leagues were shut down yeah and that's why this this virus is such a big deal because i understand early on like say a month ago you know the general sentiment was well it's it's a flu so what People get the flu all the time. But the difference is that it's just highly contagious flu. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it could be something as simple as, you know, just to pick on Rudy Gobert some more, you know, you know, messing around in the locker room, you know, joking that, oh, I got the flu and you're touching everybody's stuff. Well, congratulations. You possibly infected them. Uh, yeah, you know, like, but, I mean, we're, and we're, we're talking hockey here. We'll, we'll switch it back to yeah, hockey. Yeah. We haven't heard of a case yet in hockey, but this is a sport where guys hit each other. Guys are sweating bullets all the time. Pe people are losing like two to three pounds of water weight I mean, every game. This league passed the you mumps know? around like it was a joke a couple of years ago. And that's the thing. Like five years ago, like, you know, the old the old tagline is, what if your biggest star gets sick? It's like, well, we, we've seen this in the NHL. Sidney Crosby had the mumps. That didn't stop a single game. We all went. We all were like, you're stupid. You should have gotten your MMR shot. Yeah. And we played the game. And then it just kind of went away and nobody followed up on as to how the mumps happened or why it happened. But uh, yeah, I mean, credit to the, uh, you know, that's why this thing is so massive is just because this is such, such a contagious event and you don't know what anybody's system is necessarily going to do with this. So, you know, hopefully things get a lot more normal in about a month. I don't know about all of you listeners out there. I know you're all the people that matter and you're all worldwide, but here in North Jersey, you know, our, our county's executive has already closed all the public schools starting, uh, starting today on Friday. Lots of businesses are telling their non-essential staff to work from home if they can or limit their hours at the uh, at the site that they work at. In addition to, you know, you're getting noticed, you're getting all sorts of cancellations from churches, temples, mosques, anything that's considered a public venue that's not even a quote unquote large gathering. They're voluntarily saying, no, we're not going to risk this as much as possible. And that's that's why this is such a shocking event and why everybody has been following suit. And um you know, I can't I'd be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed by the fact that there's no devil's hockey or college hockey or college hoops or even golf. Possibly. I mean, we're all going to be watching bowling reruns at this rate. Uh, well, we're you know. not because we have a special surprise at the end. But... That's right. We do. We are not. But I'm going to wait to the end of the show yes, for that. Yes. Well, and it's important to make the distinction that we're not trying to you know, preach to anyone. We don't we're not medical professionals. We don't know more no. than they would know. But the point is that. If you, even if you're not concerned for your own personal safety, there's a lot more people that may be in danger that you interact with on a daily basis, either intentionally or by accident. And it's really about them and protecting them. It's really about mitigating what's happened because at this point, it spreads so, you know, 
widely across the country that it's hard to contain entirely, but it's definitely going to make it easier for the medical professionals that have been working so, so hard around the clock ever since this thing started to find an answer to this or to treat whoever's been afflicted in a worse way than you know any of you out there might be if you do catch it so just remember that it's more about your fellow man than um, you and if you are a bit older listening to this then you know already to be vigilant be careful and we're, we're hoping that this gets resolved sooner rather than later but yeah this i'm not out here saying you must absolutely do this like you can't live your life it's live your life but live your life carefully and live your life considerately of others right now changing subjects dan yes i think now is a good time in this show to listen to the questions from the people that matter yes so yesterday since there was no game to talk about i asked on twitter uh through the site's uh account all about the jersey what we would they would like us to talk about any questions for us so here are a couple from some of you the people that matter so first and foremost i'm going to add uh from Jason Wu, who is at Jadaman, Jadaman, whatever, <laughs> Jadaman81. I'm sorry, Jason. I'm just sorry. I'm guessing if his name is Jason, it's Jay the Man. <sighs> Jadaman. <laughs> oh, goodness, this is already a train wreck. Okay, Jason asks, are there any undrafted free agent college players the devil should be targeting? That's a very good question, Jason, and my cur- my current answer is No. Uh, the college free agency class this year is not that strong. Uh, not a lot of quote unquote big name talent. Not a lot of uh, players that would be um, available that you know missed the draft for the last couple of years and therefore have so- suddenly blossomed into a top tier player. Uh, the top of the class was boss- possibly Dan O'Connor, and he signed with Pittsburgh literally a couple hours before the Devils lost to Pittsburgh. So, you know, you're not seeing a lot of teams running after college free agents right now. Um, college hockey is right now done. A lot of the, the frozen forward is canceled. The, the conference tournaments are canceled. Some teams have straight up said we were canceling even before then. So uh, there are plenty of free agents. But as of right now, I don't think the Devils um, have anybody out there that they really should go out and get. And given how well Binghamton is playing, I don't think it's wise to bring in another player that could potentially take a spot from somebody that's doing really well right now. And, and not only that, but their depth chart significantly changed with this year's trade deadline, too. There's a lot of new prospects that have been injected into the system, and mm-hmm. they still have their own college free agents, potentially. I, I think they'd be free agents in a year or two in Tice Thompson's case to worry about but i'm speaking mostly about riley smith who would be entering his senior year this would be the critical summer for the devils to try and get him signed so i think they're more worried about focusing on their own assets first than exploring the market because they are going to have a big log jam uh, in a lot of positions with the new prospects and assets that they acquired let's not forget that there's still the potential that they have three first round picks this year now as it stands now, I don't believe that Vancouver would be in the playoffs if they just took the standings as is and went by win percentage purely um, with tiebreakers. But at the very least, they'll still have two prospects that will also be added to that pool. So yep. that being said, I don't know if they if there's someone worth chasing. And 
uh, like you said, and I don't know if it's worth clogging up the pipeline in general. So the answer to the question to bring it all back, no, I don't think there are any college free agents that they should be pursuing. And I'm sure they're doing their due diligence, but I, I think they're in a good spot in terms of adding prospect talent. Yeah. And Dan, you raise a very good point that Riley Walsh is primarily the main target among the devil's prospects to sign um, since he is entering that senior year. And unfortunately, um, there are a number of players coming out of Harvard who and it's only Harvard. I mean, yeah, Will Butcher did the same thing, but that was because Patrick Waugh burned the relationship by calling him up saying, oh, you'll never make it in the NHL because you're too small. Well, Kevin Hayes also Uh, wasn't Harvard, was he? I think he was, was he? Kevin Hayes uh, was Boston College, and then he okay, Boston ditched College. the Blackhawks. Right, okay, I, st- I stand corrected. It's not just Harvard. But Harvard has been prolific with yep. this, between Alexander Kerfoot, who was a Devils draft pick, with um, Jimmy Vesey, Adam Fox. Um, so the Devils are going to try to do their best to convince Walsh, because ultimately that's what this, this is all about. This is negotiation. This is effectively recruiting your own prospect to say, hey, you should jump to the NHL right now, albeit we don't know when the NHL is going to happen, but jump to the NHL. We'll give you a contract. You can continue taking classes at Harvard. Please don't hit the free agency market and sign with like our hated rivals. (laughs) No, that's always a consideration, but yeah, let's, uh, let's cap that question off there. Cause we, we, there's obviously a lot to still be resolved about the college um, hockey landscape in general. I don't know how they're going to, reconcile potential eligibility issues but um i guess we'll see about that but yeah let's focus on our own free agents first right so moving on with the other questions uh gs paper city asks does this this meaning the suspended season mean the devils are (laughs) co-champions paper as much as i would like to say yes no yeah (laughs) The, the devils are full the nhl and the devils and honestly the players too that's the interesting thing about this this is not so much this is a rare case where ownership and the union are, are on the same page here, where it's in both sides' best interest to play this season out, mm-hmm. even if it's an ultimately in front of empty arenas. Because, as you know, or may not know, the NHL's salary cap is tied to hockey-related revenue. Well, if you cancel the season, one, you lose a lot of um, a lot with not awarding a Stanley Cup and ending games early, and and for teams like Vancouver, Carolina, our hated rivals. Uh, Toronto, uh, not Toronto, but the Islanders, uh, Columbus, you know, teams that were on the bubble, you know, it's like, great. We were fighting like hell for the last three months for what, (laughs) you know, like a lot of sad people will come out of cancellation. And, um, but it's in everybody's best interest that you have a season and play these games. Even if the crowds are smaller, even if they're empty arenas, get some revenue in there. Cause otherwise this salary cap is going to go down real fast. And that not only undercuts, um, the guys who are going to get contracts this summer, for a couple of years down the line as the league tries to recover. So it's not just the owners want to make money. The players want money to be made so they can get paid. Yeah, so absolutely. So to that extent, I don't think the devils will be co-champions because the NHL is going to try to have a season and have a playoff truncated, untruncated, where whatever it will be. If it is entirely canceled, then if you believe that in 2005, every team also won the championship when there was no NHL season, then by all means, raise the banner in your own basement Feel free to do that. It's going to be great. Uh, they're not co-champions. If they were at least a contender, I'd be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, we got robbed a little bit, but no, yeah. no, no. Every Devils well, fan was season. like waiting for the season to end since November. So let's just let's just leave this one be. And 
if we won't have a vacated slot like Reggie Bush's Heisman. Yeah, exactly. So let's move on to a team in the organization that could make the playoffs should hockey resume. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Binghamton Devils. So Jeff Ulmer, who writes about Binghamton uh, on All About the Jersey, asked for thoughts about a potential Binghamton Devils lineup if the postseason becomes a reality. So let's assume for the sake of argument that the B Devils do make it and had the AHL decide to end the season early and start a playoff, they would be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I guess the real question is, who on the New Jersey roster would be joining Binghamton and supporting them in their quest for the Calder Cup? Yeah, I mean, the easy answers right away are Anderson, McLeod, Kwakanen. That's that's just like the the names that come to mind almost immediately. And as well as Mermis, as well as, yep. I guess, Tennyson is currently a devil, but him yeah. and Jacobs are basically yeah, interchangeable. He... Yeah, but they would definitely go back down. Clayson would probably go down if he's – I believe he's eligible as well. He was primarily an AHL defenseman this season. Yeah, the Devils would be handing down a lot of the guys that are just filling spots right now. Yes, Mermis is playing well, and we're hopeful for Quackenden, and Anderson has been okay. But they would be the guys to go down and really um, – platoon with the crew down there in Binghamton again but it's going to be just a difficult battle for spots because Bretzini's been playing well uh Merkley's been playing well Bulkvis has been playing well Ben Street is back from injury and he's been playing well Jacob Josh Jacobs and Colton White have been playing well obviously Zane McIntyre has been playing well so you don't need to send down a goalie so you know if you send down all these other guys like yeah Binghamton looks solid but it's almost like now you have the uh, the difficult problem of like how many puzzle pieces do I really need to put this puzzle together? Do I have too many? But that's a better problem to have than not enough puzzle pieces. So it just depends that's, on that's how they finish the season in New Jersey too, if that happens, because they they True. might keep some players off the AHL to if they think someone's closer to the NHL than the AHL, they might keep them off just so they're more prepared for the NHL season next year. And also to train with other NHLers as opposed to playing playoffs in the AHL. Yeah. I mean, guys like Jack Hughes, Mackenzie Blackwood, Jesper Bratt, uh, Nico, obviously, you know, these guys are NHL players. Like despite their age, despite their, what they have or have not done. And despite what you may think of them, as players, they are not AHL players. They are not going down. They're not even eligible. Like you had to be on an AHL roster by the trade deadline to be eligible for the postseason. So those guys were not given a paper move to go down. So they're definitely not eligible. So, you know, that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. And um, given that Binghamton is hot and they're in a very favorable position, they don't need it. They really don't. Okay. So here's a, here's, here's a tweet with, Five questions at once, so we're going to rapid-fire through this one, Dan. This is from Ken Cohen, who is not KC of the KC Sunshine Band, but he's still a proud Maryland Terp and a Devils fan. All right, number one, your favorite all-time NHL name. Oh, okay, so one of my favorites was Pierre-Luc Letourneau LeBlanc, just because it was so long and it was hilarious to see on the back of his jersey. All right, I'm going to go in the opposite direction, possibly the shortest name in Devil's history, Sasha Goach. Oh, yeah. Prospect. Never really made it in the NHL. But, hey, also up there, Pierre Dagenai, which is probably the most French name the Devils have had in their entire <laughs> oh, franchise. Oh, more than Pierre-Luc Letourneau LeBlanc? Yeah, but, you know, Pierre Dagenai could play. He just couldn't skate. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, he didn't play very well. He can only shoot. <laughs> I digress. All right, 
Second question. Is Youngblood a good movie? I have a confession, Dan. I have not seen Youngblood. Yeah, neither have I, so... Oh, we can't. Well, we're moving on to the third one. Jury's still out on that one. I guess that's something that we can totally do now that there's no hockey to watch. Yeah, uh, great, grand. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, number three. If the Devils were not chosen as New Jersey's name as a franchise when they moved from the Rockies in Colorado to New Jersey back in 82, what name would you have selected? This is a tough question. (laughs) This is a difficult question. And what name would I have selected? I mean... At this point, Devils fits so well with like the state's folklore and everything like that. I'm just trying to mm-hmm. find something that suits the state of New Jersey, and uh, I'm struggling personally. You go first. All right. Well, I am cheating a little bit by looking to see what the other options oh, were. Okay, yes. Cause, Smart. Because to select them, it, it implies that there was a choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am currently trying to find choice for New Jersey Devils name yep that is my mechanical keyboard oh me too too. don't worry yeah yeah let's see here history of the new jersey devils building the foundation crud i was hoping that wikipedia could quickly answer this question for me but the answer is apparently not i know that oh here we go i found the new york times article from 1982 Mm -hmm. that's i just pulled that up as well so let's see what we have all right the oh there were 11 11 possibilities so this is fun i did not know this all right there were the Americans, the Blades, the Colonials, the Lightning, the Meadowlarks, the Meadowlanders, the Coastals, the Generals, the Gulls, the Jaguars, and possibly the most hilarious, given some of the uh, fans up here in uh, Northern Jersey football, the Patriots. Yeah, I'm going to start by getting the Patriots the heck out of here. Um <laughs> And my gotta... my vote would probably be between, given those options, I like the idea of Meadowlanders, but it doesn't sound that intimidating, so I'd go with Generals yeah. or Jaguars. Okay. Now, fun fact, there is a New Jersey Colonials Youth Hockey Club. Ooh. And uh, they, they're a pretty long-standing youth club. I think Colonials, if these were my choices, like if I had to choose between the, you know, out of these 12 names... You know, Devils would actually be my first choice. Of course. And not just because it's the team's name. It, it literally is the best name out of the bunch here. But I think my number two choice would be Colonials, with Americans being a distant third. My only problem with the Americans is that it kind of evokes the the original New York franchise, the New York Americans. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Stan Fischler would, you know, come out of the woodwork to tell us all about the, you know, the team out of Brooklyn. And, you know, because he saw him play live, you know, back in the day, uh, back in the 1920s. And it caused some doofus over at Madison Square Garden to start his own hockey team. Um, you know, you know who they are, but, uh, no, I, I think I would go with colonials out of this bunch. Cause I think colonials is, is a solid name. It's got a, you know, it's, it's got a, probably a pretty cool color scheme, you know, the New Jersey seas, you know, if you want to shorten it, you know, New Jersey I has think a significant cool. place in American history. So it's, it's very Absolutely. fitting there. Exactly. You know, I, I think, you know, what else are you going to represent for Northern Jersey history? The Hoffas? <laughs> you ain't going to go there. The pine trees. The pine trees. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, number four from uh, Ken. Will the Devils ever have an alternate jersey? I think that ever since the general manager switch happened, that possibility has become stronger than ever. You could argue that the red, white, and green jerseys, you know, the ones they never win in, are their alternate jerseys (laughs) at the moment. (laughs) But uh, as a season ticket holder, um, the Devils have gone all in on next season's catchphrase already, the black and red. Mm. 
And that makes me think they're thinking of a black alternate jersey. And that would be awesome. So it's it's kind of – You would think it's awesome. I would think it's awesome, but I understand that one of the things that divides the Devils from the rest of the league is their lack of an alternate jersey. I think they're one of two teams that don't have one, the other one being the Detroit Red Wings. And exactly. it's been this way for a while. And the art, big argument against it is tradition. I think that if it did happen, like I said, it's way more likely now than it was under Lou Lamorello. But I think there is a an aspect of traditional pride. Now, if the money gets tight, they'll, they'll make them to sell more merchandise, of course. That's really a main reason why you make an alternate jersey in the first place. But if they had a black one, I wouldn't be opposed at all. But I understand the angle where people are coming from saying they don't need a third jersey. They've never had one. It's just not necessary. And, you know, it's it's cool that they've stuck to this tradition for so long. Well, my response is it's not about tradition, Dan. It's about aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't trust the Devils coming up with a better jersey or a jersey on the level of their classic red, white and black. I mean, I'm looking at the current jersey you know, right now. And it still feels naked without the bottom stripe. Yeah. Like, like this is like Coca-Cola getting rid of its little swoosh thing. Like, yes, you may have the script. It may be in red and white, but you need the swoosh. It's your thing. <laughs> it's what you're known for. How would you like it if Adidas woke up one day and said, you know what? We're just dropping the three stripe thing. <laughs> eh, we're just going to go with a word mark. Like you'd be sitting there going, no, that's like your thing. How can you get rid of it? And so I don't trust the devils to come up with an alternate Jersey. And even if they just do a simple color swap to black, look, I'll be the first to tell you that black is an awesome color, okay? Lots of things are great in black. Ministers look good in black. Uh, Paul Bearers look good in black. The Undertaker looks good in black. Secret Service. You know, Secret Service, <laughs> computer equipment, pants, shoes, belts. Black is beautiful, okay? But it is such an overdone color in sports. It's such an easy way out to say, here's a color swap, buy a jersey, give us your 90 bucks, go have a nice day. I... You know, I can already hear see the Devils going in this direction because it would be the easy option. It would sell a bunch of merchandise. But aesthetically, it would just be like, really? You have an opportunity to come up with the first alternate jersey in this franchise's history, and you're just going to go with the easiest option? You just go to Photoshop and replace the red with black? Really? Yeah, I mean, personally, I'm down for that, but I, I can understand where you're coming yeah. from. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. And I've seen this happen at Rutgers football, too, because, you know, back when, you know, just I, I came out of college, they were all all the players were like, oh, we love the black jersey. We want a black jersey. We need a black jersey. Well, they get their black jerseys. They never win in the black jerseys. And the black jerseys make it, their numbers hard to read. Their nameplates hard to read. You know, people buy them, but it's almost like, great. Now, now you're just like every other team with a black jersey. <laughs> it's like you don't look particularly tough or, or, or intimidating in it. You're just another team that doesn't win in them well the added caveat to that is it doesn't necessarily have to be a black jersey he just asked if there would be an alternate jersey true. this is true ken ken if the devils go in a better direction aesthetically maybe it won't be so bad <laughs> but that's my that's my big beef about an alternate jersey at this current moment in time which is kind of moot since there is no time right now for hockey <laughs> um okay well we'll go on to the last question of this not so rapid fire set yeah. Favorite line combination in Devil's history? Dan, A-line. I think you know the Come answer. On. A-line, yes. Come on. A-line, <laughs> A-line number one, egg-line number two. A-egg crash. Okay, I A-egg A, crash with ZZ Pops as, as an honorable mention, and if for those mid-90s, late-90s Devil's fans, Hell's Angels. Mm. You'll have to explain that, that one. Actually, 
That one, I believe, was Steve Thomas, Dave Anderchuk, and a very young Peter Sikora. Oh, wow. So Sikora appears here twice. Yep. <laughs> Sikora has been a devil for a very long time. Yeah. And then he had and that second he, stint, too. He, he did. Where? <laughs> yes, he did. He was on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> well, he that was, the, that was 2012, wasn't it? It was 2012. Wow. Crazy. Crazy who was on that team when you look back at it, but... Um, yeah, so I think the, there's an easy answer there, and we've actually had almost entire episodes devoted to the A-line, so <laughs> I think that's that's a good definitive answer for that one. I think if you ask any Devils fan who knows anything about the history of the team, that line should be first and foremost. Of course. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And speaking of Peter Sikora, Dan, I think that leads to our surprise. Yes. So obviously with the games in a stoppage, we were thinking of ways to bring content to you guys. And one of the ways that we came up with, and that's something that we're going to do, I guess for the foreseeable future, first of all, first announcement to make is that we're probably going to move back to one episode a week because while we love generating content, we're not masters at it. And uh, we're going to just waste all of our content if we keep going twice a week with no games in the middle to recap. So instead, what we're going to introduce is a kind of devil's um, book club slash movie club. And at the end of each of our episodes, we're going to say what historical, what game of historical significance from devil's history we're going to watch and then analyze on the next podcast. We'll give context about the situation leading up to that game the circumstances of that season really you know if we have any personal connections to it and by all means if you have any connections yourselves feel free to write in we're happy to share your memories of those days as well but we're going to pick a game like i said of historical significance in new jersey devil's history watch through it by any means necessary either find full versions of it online just highlights and then break it down the same way we would do our weekly recaps that we've been doing Doing here so far. So, speaking of Peter Sikora, he was actually on, um, he was behind enemy lines at this point, because the first game that we're going to break down as part of this new content plan, new assignment, so to say, and b- by no means do you have to watch it, but it would probably help contextually, we're going to break down game seven of the 2003 Stanley Cup finals between the New Jersey Devils and the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. So, Like I said, find um, there should be archives of that game or at least highlights available. If not on YouTube, then doing a simple Google search, we plan to do the same. And we're going to take a look at that game, watch it back. And I had the great fortune to actually be in attendance that night. So awesome, awesome memory to relive. And we'll walk through that game and kind of give background. But the games that we planned on including, you know, I'm not going to give them all away now, but think of significant milestones. Think of big comebacks. Think of weird arena situations, maybe, if you know what I'm alluding to already. Oh, goodness. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think that one is worth talking about, especially now. But um, that all being said, like I said, we're going to start with the 2003 Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. So what we're going to do, we're going to watch it, we're going to break it down for you, and we're going to have a discussion with you guys about it, because that realistically is one of the last great Devils games that happened. Absolutely. So watch it, discuss it, and we'll pick another great game of historical value, and we will discuss it further, and we can keep on going, because thankfully the New Jersey Devils have provided us a lot of great moments and a lot of great uh, times and interesting times in its long history. Yep, so that all being said, hopefully 
you know, we don't, we're all hoping that hockey comes back eventually, but we don't plan to really slow down the content at all. It'll just be um, more condensed throughout the week. So we'll go back to uh, some longer form episodes, potentially uh, just once a week while we don't have to split between game recaps and uh, whatever else is going on off the ice, because that answer is, of course, nothing. So hopefully you guys enjoy that plan. Very much looking forward to discussing this game with you next week, John. And uh, do you have anything else to add for today's episode? I just want to say thank you to everybody who continues to listen to this podcast, respond to uh, our, you know, the All About the Jersey uh, Twitter account with questions for the show, as well as those who go out there and read the site, share the site, discuss the site with their friends and family. Um, you know, just speaking selfishly here, Dan, you know, the devil's not having a good season is not always good for business right. as a as a blog and as a podcast. And really, it's just as being a fan. You know, it's always more fun when the team has something to play for, when there are, you know, stakes at hand. Um, you know, when the team, you know, eats it for two straight seasons, it, you know, everybody's just kind of like getting tired of this uh, nonsense. And now we're at a point where there's not going to be anything. Um, I am thankful for all of all of you who are continuing to support, you know, at least read the site, check in on the site, because we will have posts on the site. We're still kind of in flux as far as what exactly we're going to be doing. But we will have content. Um, I'm one of the things I'm most proud of about the site is that during the um, incredibly stupid lockout of 2012, we kept the post going. Granted, it was easier because Europe was ongoing, juniors was ongoing, college was ongoing. In this case, nothing is going. So we're going to be um, kind of uh, scrambling a little bit for content on the site, but we're going to keep it moving. And um, we hope that uh, you join us until hockey does resume and. Hopefully we'll all be back at a period of normalcy and we can go back to arguing over whether or not the devil should be winning games, how bad they're losing games, what draft picks are going to get <laughs> and, and uh, you know, who should they draft and who should they sign and all that other good stuff that comes with uh, the off season. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. And all of you, I appreciate you for listening and I'm excited to get this uh, movie slash book club started. I think it could be a lot of fun for everyone to relive those times and really have a good reason to watch some hockey games when there's nothing going on live. So looking forward to joining all of you in that discussion. And as always, thanks again for listening. And hockey or no hockey, let's go Devils. Go Devils.